Just because an animal isn't known or accepted by science doesn't mean it won't be watching you through your window. This world is a strange one. Most of us go about our days just thinking of ourselves, rarely paying attention to the nature and wildlife around us. But there are also the unlucky few who witness very bizarre things when we least expect it. Things that snarl and drool. Tonight, I'll share with you five allegedly real sightings of strange creatures. But first, if you're a patron of mine, please be sure to read my announcement at patreon.com slash darkness prevails. Also, I'm currently looking for stories about strange animal sightings in national forests. If you've got one, send it to me at darknessprevails.org. Thank you. Now, prepare yourself to witness just a handful of the creatures that still hunt humans. Number one, it came from the cornfield, submitted by Jess O'Hara. This happened just the other day. I'm 26 years old, living with my parents. You can make all the snide comments you want about that, but that's just how my life ended up. At the moment, we're in the process of moving to a smaller house and a quieter area than where we lived in Indianapolis for 14 years. In fact, this story takes place on the first night I spent in our new house. Unlike our home in Indianapolis, the new one is a single floor. My mom has knee problems and can't walk upstairs anymore, and our backyard is overlooking a nearby cornfield. Nothing screams Indiana like basketball and cornfields, right? If you take the two bottom legs off a letter H, you would have the configuration of the deck and two wings of the house that open into it. One door puts you into the master bedroom and the other goes into the breakfast nook. Between the wings, or the horizontal bar of the H, is the living room, and just down the hall is my room, the bathroom, my mother's office, and my father's, well, whatever he's going to do with that room. I'm not really sure yet. As I said, just the other night was my first night in this new house, and I was here with our two cats, Angel and Fred. Angel is black with yellow eyes, and she's smarter than your average two-year-old. She opens doors, gets into cabinets, and is very vocal. She's my cat. On the other hand, Fred is a tabby with white boots, white gloves, and a white muzzle, and a kink in the tip of his tail. He's my mother's. We always say Angel is the smart one, and Fred is the more cute one, but we love them both all the same. When mom brought them to the new place, Angel got out and explored the whole house immediately, but Fred flat out refused to leave the master bedroom where the litter box, food, and water were. He seemed afraid of the new place. Even after mom went back to Indiana and I was alone, he didn't come out for nearly an hour. But finally, he did, and he began exploring while Angel went to sleep in her cat tree, looking out at the cornfield. I stayed up watching forensic files on TV for a while before I went to bed around 1.30 in the morning. Now, usually, I like to have my bedroom door shut because one, it's usually a mess, 
and two, I'm a private and introverted person. I like my personal space. But since it was their first night in a new environment, I left the door open to our cats. I would later learn that that would be a mistake. I woke up around 4.30, but try as I might, I couldn't go back to bed. Fred was restless and kept jumping on me, walking all over me, demanding to be petted, basically being very needy. And that's really strange for him. Normally, he only likes playing with my younger brother, but I understood it was probably anxiety for being at a new place. Fast forward a few hours, and I was growing more and more impatient with him. I was exhausted, but I couldn't get him to settle down or distract him. Finally, I took my pillow and my blanket, and I went to sleep on the living room floor in the hopes that he would finally calm down. Thankfully, he did. In fact, the little stinker wormed under the blanket, plopped down by my knees, and went right to sleep. And that's just cats for you. By this time, it was about six in the morning, and it was beginning to get light outside. Only the windows in the master bedroom and breakfast nook have blinds because they have an eastern view, so the ones in the living room were bare and wide open. As I started to drift off, I began to hear something outside. After the noise of Indianapolis, it was almost silent out here, and over the time that I'd been awake trying to sleep, I had learned that that was normal here, but this sound that I was hearing now, this wasn't natural. For whatever reason, the sound put me on edge, and I could taste something metallic in my mouth. I tried to tell myself to not be so paranoid that there was probably a natural explanation. There always was, right? Maybe we had coyotes, and they were running through the corn. Maybe the neighbor's dog had jumped the fence and was sniffing around. I tried to empty my mind of fear and paranoia so I could finally sleep. Click. It sounded like claws coming up on our deck. I've done enough dog sitting to know what canine claws sound like, and I relaxed a little, thinking it was in fact the neighbor's dogs. I tried not to kick Fred as I got comfortable on the floor. Click, click, click. I pulled my blanket over my head, trying to block out the noise and the dawn as it started to light up the room. But that didn't last long before I turned over again. As I did, I could see the outline of the window on the wall. The light was red, a rather nice color, I thought. I was finally beginning to drift off, and I watched that red square of light as my eyes closed. I kept them shut for a few seconds, then opened them again, and every time they would get heavier. Tap, tap. The red light was blotted out by something big. The room even visibly darkened around me, and Angel jumped down from her perch and under my blanket with her brother. Neither of them are particularly snuggly, so I looked up to see what had scared her so bad. I almost wish I hadn't. Now I've read my fair share of stories, of the different ghost stories of different cultures, but nothing I've read or researched could have prepared me for this because I've never heard of anything like it. The creature outside the window was bipedal and unnaturally thin. 
It stood in profile to me, but to my horror, it seemed to be trying to look into the master bedroom where there was a door. The animal had antlers like a deer, and I seem to remember they were six or eight points, though I can't swear by it. Its back was bowed as it hunched over, and the eye I could see, it seemed to have a blue glow about it. The entirety of its body was bald, pale as the moon, with a mottling of gray across its back like old wounds. Its face was long and to a point, with a starkly outlined bone structure, and both of its unnaturally long hands were pressed against the door. The source of the tapping noise was the point of an antler hitting the living room window as it tried to look between the slats of the blinds. The creature shifted, and I knew it was about to look into the living room window next. I threw the blanket over my head and stared down at my two cats, who were curled up yin and yang roughly level with my knees. The three of us cowered there. I could see through the weave of the blanket fabric that same square of light that had first alerted me to its presence, and the shadow stood there motionless, as if watching for any movement inside. I could barely breathe, trying to stay as still as I possibly could. I felt like hours dragged by as I watched with my heart in my throat, with that same metallic taste in my mouth. Finally, the shadow in the window shifted as it began to turn around. Only when it had left the frame of light on the wall did I move. I scrambled up and peeked over to the window at whatever had been watching me. It had made it across the backyard in a few long strides and had just reached the perimeter of the cornfield. I'm a terrible judge of height, being a bit of a shorty myself, but with my best guess, I'd say that that creature was over six feet tall at the top of its head and over seven if you count those antlers. The tops of the cornstalks came to eye level with it. It walked and disappeared into the corn, leaving only swaying stalks in its path. And with that, it was gone. I was both glad and horrified. I had never felt more alone than the second that thing was gone, and I had realized what just happened. Well, tonight my mom is staying in the house too. I'm sleeping in my room with the door shut and the window covered, but I'm still afraid I'll wake up at dawn to a quiet tap, tap, tap. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the roaring 20s. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. 
June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Number 2. The Howler Submitted by Buckman This story was told to me by my father. He and I are avid hunters from Maryland, and we are very experienced. Once a year, he and I take a trip to the Smoky Mountains, where we belong to a hunting club, but this time I wasn't there with my father. No, he had gone alone to go bear hunting. And on that day, he had gone hunting in his stand all day, and around the time it became dark, maybe five o'clock or so because it was the fall, he began his climb down from the stand. He had just finished packing everything up in the stand and was climbing down. The moment he touched down at the bottom, he began to hear rustling behind him. He didn't think too much of it, but once he got up to 50 feet up the hill, he began to hear the sound of a scream or a yell. It was so loud and sudden, it reverberated inside his chest. My dad is over 300 pounds and he's not easy to scare. He's been in the woods all his life and I've never heard of him being scared of anything in those forests until now. Whatever had been screaming at him, it was only 200 yards behind him. He said to himself, this is how it ends because whatever was making that sound, it was big, it was angry and it was screaming at him. But just for a moment, he stopped and he gathered himself. With all the courage he could muster, he began the race for his life. My dad's four-wheeler was more than 40 yards in front of him, and the moment he took off for it, he started to hear something crashing through the woods. It came from the direction of the scream. Somehow, my dad made it to the four-wheeler before that thing could catch him. But just like some sort of cliche horror movie scene, the four-wheeler didn't start right away. It was a cold day after all, and he had been in that tree stand for hours, so maybe the engine just got a bit too cold. He kept at it, trying to start it, and luckily, after a few tries, it finally turned over. My dad then sped away out of there, back to his camper, eight miles away. Once back in his camper, he locked all the doors and he called the president of the hunting club. He was still a bit freaked out, but he was very eager to share this story with some of his friends. Well, the president invited him over to his house to talk. So later on, they're having dinner together and my dad asks him if he's ever heard a sound that he didn't know what it was. The hunting club president then went on to explain that his own father not only heard but saw things in those very woods. He said he would hear strange screaming coming from every direction, that something big would follow him step by step. And even a few times, he spotted a strange upright silhouette that was far too big to be a person. After that night, dad packed up and went back home. He was relaxed and soon didn't think at all about that experience. But one day, 
he received a photo from the president of the hunting club. The picture showed a very strange and massive footprint. It was 18 inches long and five inches across with individual toes. They put a pipe wrench next to it and the wrench was only less than half its length. But the worst part about it was where the footprint was found. It was found only a few days after my father left his camp. It was discovered only a few yards away from where my dad had parked his camper. It sent chills up my dad's spine. Still though, hunting was in his blood and that never stopped him from going back. To this day, he and I still go up to Virginia and we haven't seen anything strange since. But after hearing his story and seeing the photo myself, you can bet that I'm on edge every time we step foot into those woods. Number three, The Caribbean Vampire, submitted by Neymar Jr. This story is a childhood account from my late grandfather, an event so stirring that it stayed with him his entire life. It takes place on the Caribbean island of Trinidad, where my grandparents and parents resided before me. The island was discovered and named by Christopher Columbus himself. Even though there has been many European influences since then, the island is prominently English-speaking. During the very old days, many French and African cultures, along with their beliefs and traditions, became intertwined, hence spawning a vicious creature that was thought to only exist in the folklore of old. We call it the Sokuya. It's a human that has traded their soul to become a creature that takes the form of a ball of fire and scours the night, seeking blood from victims. They then use that blood to make a trade with the demon Basil for more dark power. As the story begins, my grandfather was a child laborer under the British rule of the island in the early 1900s. His parents divorced during the same time and hence he lived with his father, my great-grandfather, along with his younger sister in the forested northern range of the island. It was a rather small community at the time where everyone knew each other and the men usually worked the same jobs. All the households were poor and the wages for working on plantations and agriculture weren't decent either. My great-grandfather's house was made of dirt and mainly wood. There was absolutely no electricity or other utility conveniences we take for granted today. Like I said, their community was small and although everyone knew each other, there was something evil at work unbeknownst to everyone there. When the men and boys spent long days working, the women and the girls spent their days at home, washing clothes by the nearest river, harvesting and preparing food for the men when they get home. In those days, the poor couldn't afford cars, so they would journey for long hours by foot, especially to and from work. One night in particular, my grandfather and his father were making their way back home from the plantation after the sun had gone down. There were no streetlights to help guide their way on the dark roads and the forest surrounded them on both sides. As the moonlight shone bright while they made their way into the village, a friend of my great-grandfather's came running out of his house to meet him. The man was in a panic 
With a scared expression across his face, he pleaded with my grandfather to come and see his wife, who had suddenly fallen very ill. Wanting to help however he could, my great-grandfather agreed to see the man's wife and instructed his son to return home without him since he had to attend to this urgent matter. Even though he was only eight years old at the time, my grandfather was brave enough to make the dark journey back to his house. After picking up his sister from another neighbor's residence, the two of them trailed down the lonely road towards home. Since they lived in the forested northern range with their house being the most remote, they were somewhat used to the dark and the sounds emitting from the forest. The wilderness was their home. The trees rustled as the wind gave pace. Being in the dark with nothing but the moonlight, my grandfather soon spotted what appeared to be a fire on one of the mountains in the northern range. He tried to think nothing of it, since hunters carelessly set forest fires every now and then. If anything, it was more of an irritating sight. They both continued on, walking, when my grandfather saw something rather odd. The fire he initially saw a few miles off on the mountainside had suddenly grown closer. He didn't know if his eyes were deceiving him, but he shrugged it off once again. He clutched his sister's arm and picked up the pace. A sense of fear filled his mind now as he couldn't shake the strange feeling that he was being watched. He continued forward and the atmosphere increased in brightness, which was odd considering the moonlight is never that intense. He fought the urge to turn around, but he soon gave in. The moment he turned his head, what he saw terrified him and shook him to his very core. Not 50 feet away, a ball of fire hovered over the dirt, glaring toward my grandfather and his sister, who screamed at the sight of it. Without hesitation, my grandfather gripped his sister's hand and tugged her down the road as they bolted as fast as their feet could carry them. The only way they'd be safe was if they could make it home before whatever that thing was could catch them. Commanding his crying sister not to look back, my grandfather heard the creature let out an ear-piercing shriek like that of some woman. At the same time, he felt the heat of the fire resonate as the creature drew near. The road and trees were brightly illuminated now from the raging of the creature's fire as it gave chase. It seemed to be gaining on them. There was no way they could escape this thing, my grandfather thought, but he refused to give up. He ran harder and saw that his sister needed him more than ever at this very moment. If he didn't push harder, his sister wouldn't make it. As the shrieking continued, he felt his heart pounding against his chest. With tears flowing from his eyes, he realized that his fate was sure to be sealed. Just in that split second, everything went silent and the darkness returned. Everything was normal again. They both ran for another minute or so until they stopped to assess what was happening. With tears and sweat pouring down their faces, my grandfather and his sister reluctantly turned back to look up the dirt road. The creature, the fiery ball, had disappeared, but the sounds of footsteps came echoing down the road instead. For a moment, they were scared again, but then they heard the voice of their father and saw the lights of oil lamps in the distance. They ran toward it 
in sheer relief as they were embraced in the arms of their father, who was now accompanied by a few other villagers that had come in search of them. It wasn't until a few months later that my great-grandfather explained exactly what had happened that night. He told my grandfather that the woman he was asked to see had been drained of blood and had suffered puncture wounds on her arm and leg. The adults of the village knew exactly what the cause was and that the creature would have still been lurking around that night. That's why, as soon as they knew what was happening, they came searching for my grandfather and his sister before the Sokuya found them first. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Number four, Passing the Devil, submitted by Alex. I've lived in New Jersey my whole life, and I've been an avid consumer of Jersey Devil lore and stories for as long as I can recall. The sighting I'd like to share with you is not my own. It was relayed to me some years ago by the driver of my school van. I went to a private school, and I had a handful of drivers over the years, all of which I got to know pretty well, so it was the uncharacteristically reserved way in which she shared her story that caused it to stay with me through the years. For the sake of privacy, since she still works in transportation, I'll refer to her as S. S's husband has family in southern New Jersey that they drive down to visit during the holiday season. This particular event had been for Thanksgiving, and once things had wrapped up, S and her husband got into their truck and began their journey home. When driving through the barrens at night, it is not uncommon to have long stretches of road where there's no street lamps or shoulder reflectors. This is high beams country, and beyond the lights of your car and the roadway just ahead of you is a dense wall of close pine trees, and beyond that, total darkness. So if there's any other source of light, no matter how small, it's going to stick out like a neon sign. This is what S first noticed from the passenger seat, a bright red point of light on the side of the road. At first, she thought it may have been one of those red reflectors that people in the area used to mark the entrances to their driveways, until she noticed that it was bobbing up and down in a regular fashion. Whatever she was looking at was moving. As the truck quickly caught up to it, the light revealed something moving down the road away from them. Her first impression was that it was a deer, but as they gained on this animal, she realized that everything about it was all wrong and unnatural. She said that the thing had a long tail and moved more like a kangaroo, and as they passed it, S got a clear look at what she referred to as the creature. She said that it was covered in a coat of short, dark brown fur. The body was similar to that of a deer's, but far more slim. Its hind legs were longer than the front, and it had a long tail that swung back and forth as it ran. Its front legs did not have hooves and gave the fleeting impression of what a deer might look like if its legs ended in primitive hands curved inwards. They were held halfway towards the torso, bouncing with each stride. 
but it was the creature's back and head that really unnerved S the most. The back, she said, was covered with leathery folds that looked like folded up wings and that the face, in contrast to the rest of the deer-like form, was more like a goat, complete with two small horns and an eye that reflected red light back at her. As quickly as the thing came into view, the truck passed it, leaving whatever S had just witnessed behind on the dark forest road. She says that when she looked into her side mirror, she could still see the eyes bobbing in the dark, reflected by the truck's rear lights. She turned to her husband and said, tell me you just saw that. And with his eyes still on the road and obviously shaken, he replied, I saw enough. Of the many reports I've heard since that time, S's story still fascinates me because it isn't about an alleged encounter in the woods or a loud noise heard outside of a tent or even a shadow passing overhead. No, if this truly was the infamous Jersey Devil, it was behaving more like a natural flesh and blood organism than some supernatural evil boogeyman like many of the stories portray. Why would something that I'd always been raised to be scared of behave in such a contradictory manner? I guess the reason, like the devil itself, is destined to remain a mystery. Number five, Devil Beast, submitted by Christina. Where we live isn't much of a town, really, more of a holler in a valley. Altogether, there's about 25 or 30 people living here. The closest real town to us is nearly an hour away, and there are mountains all around us. It's a truly beautiful and scenic place, but this holler has a very violent history. There was once a coal company camp, and it was a booming one. Back in those days, they used a massive furnace as power to pull the carts from the mines. And if someone was hurt or passed away, nobody claimed the body. They just put the body in the massive furnace and went back to work. When the coal company left this area, a land company bought almost all the land and my parents rented the land where that massive furnace was. Growing up, I would hear stories about how you could hear screaming coming from that area late at night, but I never paid any attention to any of it. The summer I turned 13, I saw something that made me truly believe in God and the devil. It was my 13th birthday, and I had a sleepover with all the neighborhood kids over. There were about 10 of us all together, and we were all really close. We had planned on sleeping on my trampoline that night, well, we only had two light poles out here. They would light up about 50 feet around them. We had one at the end of the house and one a little further away. At about midnight, we were all still awake laughing and joking around when we heard a noise coming from the nearby woods. Around these parts, that is completely normal. The woods are thick and vast and the mountains are the same. Seeing or hearing a wild animal isn't strange so we didn't really pay it much attention. Some time passed, and we heard a scream like a woman in trouble. Now in these parts, they teach you at an early age, never, 
ever go toward the sound because panthers often sound like a screaming woman. We looked at each other and one of the boys said it's probably a panther and that maybe we should go inside. So we were getting ready to get off the trampoline when something stepped into the light, the one that was further away from the house. It was unlike anything any of us had ever seen. It had the body of a bear with huge black claws, but when it turned its face towards us, we could see that this was no bear. The face on the thing was badly deformed and its teeth hung well over out of its mouth. Those eyes were these glowing yellow embers. It was staring right at us and screaming. I think we were all too shocked to move until the thing's head turned completely around and smiled at us. Needless to say, we all bolted off that trampoline and were fighting each other to get inside the house. I've never been so scared in my life. My mom asked us what was going on and my dad rushed into the room and all of us told them what had happened. My mom and dad looked at each other and my mom spoke first. She said that her grandma had told her of a devil beast that wandered these very mountains, but nobody had ever seen it. She was told that it was half demon, half animal, and preyed upon the weak or the evil. We all looked at each other in disbelief. It took us all a long time to calm down, and we still spent the night inside. The next day, when everyone went home, I showed my dad where I'd seen the creature, and when we walked out to the second pole, there was a massive claw mark going down it, starting up seven feet high. I will never forget that monster's face, and after that experience, I made sure I was never alone, especially outside. Thankfully, I've grown up and moved away. Still, I just can't forget what I saw that night, and no one can tell me that demons don't exist in our world. Even hundreds of years from now, we will see strange and unexplainable things in our world or worlds. Nature is constantly changing, evolving, and you never know what new animal or unseen creature might stumble across your path. If you do see something like that, you might want to give it some room or leave it alone. These creatures are as mystified by you as you are of them which means they don't yet have a reason to be scared of you. And when animals aren't scared of people, people become food. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send me your National Forest Monster Encounters at darknessprevails.org. Also, a huge thanks goes out to my newest patrons, the people going above and beyond to help this channel. They are Brandon Williams, Karen Romero, and Amanda Block. Again, thank you so much for doing what you can. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Stay safe out there and stay creepy.